Well, this morning we are uh, we're blessed because um, we have with us one of our, our board members uh, uh, of Reliance Church. He's been a board member with us almost from the very beginning. He himself is a senior pastor uh, at a church in, uh, in uh, Grand Terrace, uh, Calvary the Brook. Uh, you've, you've, you've had him here a few times before, and just a privilege uh, to have Pastor Rick Doucette with us. So would you please welcome him? Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. Privilege to be here. It's exciting to see what God's doing at Reliance Church, and I've kind of watched you guys grow and just continue to grow, and now you guys are filling this room up, so God's got great things in mind for you guys, and I'm excited to be here, of course, just to see what God's doing and share God's Word with you guys. So if you brought your Bibles, please open them to Mark chapter 1. And I want to talk to you this morning about what it means to follow Jesus. You know, we might be quick to say, well, I believe in Jesus, or even I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But what does that look like? And what does that mean? And what's entailed in all of that? So I want to talk to you this morning about a radical call to follow Christ here from Mark chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let's see, verse 9 is where we're going to begin. So if you're there already, let's read together. It says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee, of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. Verse 14, now after John had put, was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. With that, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning, and thank you for us being able to open this book, have it on our laps, Lord, and have it change our lives, God, as we study it together. We ask you to be our teacher this morning. Teach us from your word by your spirit, God, that we might be, as Cody just prayed, different people to your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, I heard the story of three military recruiters who were addressing a room full of high school seniors about getting involved in the armed forces. And each one of the different forces had 15 minutes to get up and give their presentation trying to recruit these young people. So the Army guy got up and the Navy guy got up and they were supposed to have 15 minutes each, but like pastors, they both went really long. And by the time the Marine got a chance to get up, he had two minutes left to give his presentation. So he made his way up onto the platform, stood behind the pulpit, And he stood there for a good minute or more saying not a word to anybody. And everyone's looking, waiting for him to say something. And finally, with about 45 seconds left, he said these words. He said, I doubt whether there's even two or three of you in this whole room who could even cut it in the Marine Corps. But I want to see the two or three of you in the auditorium next door when we're finished. And that was it. He got down and sat down. They dismissed everybody. When he went over to the other auditorium, there was a massive crowd waiting at his table to find out what it meant to be a Marine. And I tell that story because I think you'd agree with me that there's just something about being challenged that appeals to us, right? Something about being singled out, set apart, called, different, that attracts us. The Marine slogan is the few, the proud, the Marines, right? 
but it's the few that appeals to us. Oh, I wish I could be among the elite, among those few that are really making a difference, those rare individuals in life that seem to step out from the crowd and make a stand for something no matter what the cost is. And in fact, the higher the cost, the more motivating it is. Remember our early, one of our early country fathers, Patrick Henry, made that statement when he said, give me liberty or give me death. You know, we re- hear that and we think, man, a man willing to stand for something, even to die for something that he honestly believes in. And of course, throughout Scripture, there was similar examples. You have Gideon and his 300 men going up against an army that is numerous as locusts, the Midianites, and, and how Gideon went and did that. We think, man, what a man of faith that he was willing to stand up, even die for the Lord. And, of course, I think of David and Goliath and the whole story there as the little shepherd boy goes down into that valley to face the nine-foot, six-inch Philistine, you know. And in that boldness, willing, no matter what was going to take place, he knew God was with him and was able to say, you know, you defy the armies of the living God, but I'm here to fight for him. And, and those kinds of stories are motivating. They, they speak to the truth that we all really want to make a difference deep down inside. We want our life to matter. Patrick Morley, who is a great men's author, was asked the question one time, what do you think man's greatest need is? And he said their greatest need is they would all like their tombstones to read that he or she made a difference with their life. And it's true. We all desire that. We all want to be able to look back on our life and know we've made a difference and that our life here has a significant purpose. Well, let me tell you this morning that God wants your life to make a difference, not just for yourself, but more importantly, for his kingdom. And God has made a radical call to each one of us, you and I, to be his followers, to make a difference in this world in his power. And if you notice with me here in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And this is a calling. And I'm sure you've realized in life there's all kinds of callings. There's the calling of the wild. There's the call of nature, the call to duty, the call to arms, the call home for supper. My friend used to be hanging out with me, and I'd hear this weird whistle, and what's that? That's my mom calling me for dinner. She'd whistle out the door, or even the call to recycle. You don't want to forget that, right? There's all kinds of calls in life. But listen, the most powerful image over the years has been a call to military service, and you have a poster of Uncle Sam with his finger pointing at you, saying, I want you to be a part of the United States Army. Well, God, throughout Scripture, has his finger pointed at you and I, saying, I want you to be involved in my service. I want you to be involved in the service of my kingdom as as you become a follower of mine. I want you to be my follower. And that's really what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower. Following is what a disciple of Jesus Christ does. And sometimes we get things mixed up. Somebody once asked the question, what do you call a chicken crossing the road? Poultry in motion, of course, right? What do you call a boomerang that doesn't work? You just call that a stick. What do you call four bullfighters that are sinking in quicksand? Quattro cinco, of course. Where do you find a dog with no legs? Right where you left him. Or what do you call cheese that isn't yours? Nacho cheese, that's what you call it. What do you call a Christian who isn't following Jesus Christ? You call that a contradiction. If you're a, follow, if you're a Christian and you're a disciple, then you're a follower. And listen, God has called you to follow. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, we are called into the fellowship of his son. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy people, or a holy nation, his own special people that have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has called you, called you to what? To follow him, to be his disciple. Peter put it this way, 1 Peter 2, 21, for to this you were called. 
because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps. You're called to follow. You're called to change. You're called to be different. 2 Corinthians 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 17 and 18 says, Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord. This is what God has called you to. Now, I'm not talking about the cool, comfortable, cultural, consumer Christianity that we often find in America today, where it's really all about my comforts, and we live in this culture today that sanctifies everything by calling it Christian, and you know we're living in... Christianity is labeled or known by, well, I wear Christian t-shirts, or I got a not-of-this-world sticker on my car, or, or I wear cross jewelry, or even have a WWJD something, you know, whether it's a ball cap or a wristband. Remember that? WWJD, what Jesus would do years ago, everyone wore it, and it's a symbol of, you know, well, what would Jesus do? I'm going to ask myself that question wherever I am, and that's kind of cool and all that, but, but too often we relate that with Christianity. It, it kind of reminds me of a guy that went into a Christian bookstore and he picked up a ball cap and it had WWJD on it and he's looking at it and he's trying to figure out what it means because he wasn't a Christian and so he asked this clerk and what does that mean? So she went on to explain, well, you know, people want to emulate Christ and so they, what would Jesus do? They ask themselves that question and, you know, so whenever they do anything, they ask themselves the question, what would Jesus do? And so he turned the price tag over and he looked at the price. So I can tell you one thing, Jesus wouldn't buy that ball cap at that price, you know. But I'm not talking about this cool, comfortable, cultural consumer, Christianity, wearing religious clothes, being a religious person. I'm talking about a Christianity that costs you something. You know, what have you really given up? What have we really given up to follow Christ in America? Well, I didn't have two beers at the party. You know, I don't party as much. Oh, really, what am I missing out on, right? Oh, I, I, you know, I gave a little extra in my offering. That was the sacrifice that I made. What, do we really, what price are we really paying in America to follow Jesus Christ. See, what I'm talking about is a radical life of obedience like Jesus had, a life dependent upon the Holy Spirit every day like Jesus had. I'm talking about dying to yourself, taking up your cross, just like Jesus did, touching, ministering, being Jesus to the world around us. Simply Jesus, right? That's what the Reliance Church is all about, being Jesus. Let's be Jesus to this world. Jesus put it this way, John 13, 12. He who believes in me and the works that I do, listen, he will do also. Greater works than these will he do. What's Jesus saying? He says, you're going to emulate me in this world. Is that happening? Or how about this? 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 says, as he is, so are we in this world. That's God's destiny for us, to be Jesus to the world, to emulate Christ to the world, to follow Christ in such a way in this world that we are emulating him. One pastor asked the question, what's the Christian life all about? Do you know that you can wrap the entire life into one package, put a tag on it, and you can write on that tag, 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in this world. So let me just say this, that it's not as easy as sometimes we make it out to be. This is a radical call to follow Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself said, many are called, but few are chosen. Few actually heed the call because being his follower Listen, it requires nothing less than total abandonment to his cause. When Jesus called his disciples here to follow him, he was basically calling them to forsake everything else. Forsake your career, forsake your family, forsake everything to follow me. I am now the priority. And the question that I have for us this morning is, how about you? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking, do you believe? I'm asking, do you follow? Now, you might say, okay, pastor, if we're going to raise our hands, I'll raise mine right now because I am a follower of Christ. But before we go too quickly, I want to talk to you about what that means. 
and what's involved in following Christ. And there's three things that I want to point out about following that are absolutely essential. The first one is this. Number one, to follow Jesus, we must get our priorities under control. Or excuse me, our passions under control. In other words, we must repent because following Jesus is all about holiness. Look with me at verse 14 and 15 here. It says, now after John was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Here's Jesus' message. This is what Jesus preached. He preached, repent for the kingdom of God is coming. And believe in the gospel. Those three things. Basically, you could say he preached a message of change. Repent. He preached a message of choice. Believe the gospel. He preached a message of conviction. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. There's an urgency. But this was Jesus' message that he preached. Now, I think that we got the believe part down. When it comes to Christianity, America Day, we know believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Believe in Jesus and all your problems will be solved, right? And this is the message that we often hear. And you ask anybody, well, are you a Christian? Yes. Well, how come you're a Christian? Because I believe in God or I believe in Jesus Christ. But the part we're lacking and we're missing is this whole idea of repentance. Jesus preached repentance. That means to turn from your sins and to depart from it. And how unlike Jesus, much of the preaching that we hear in America today is. Too often people preach about believing without repentance. They can you know, follow Christ without any change whatsoever. They say, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Pray this little prayer, walk down this aisle, fill out this card, and you're in. You're on your way. And, and there's never any discussion about the need for repentance. And this is why so many people think that they can be a Christian and continue to live any lifestyle that they want to without any change whatsoever. But Jesus said... Repent. Turn from your sins. Not only Jesus, but the early church said the same thing. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, the apostles preached this message. Repent, therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What is it saying? It's saying that you'll not be refreshed by the presence of God until you repent. And not only did the apostles, the apostle Paul preached this message. Acts chapter 20, verse 20, he says this. He says, I declare to you, to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem, through all the regions of Judea, to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. And if Jesus preached that message and the apostles preached that message, it's something that's important. And yet it's missing in a lot of the preaching today. Kent Hughes, great Bible teacher from the Midwest, he said, sadly, repentance has been reduced to a little more than a whisper in much of today's preaching, yet gospel preaching involves preaching repentance. Now, I know that it's tough. You know, you and I live in a very tolerant culture and society, and we're being told that tolerance is really the greatest virtue that there ever was. And you and I have a hard enough time just telling people about the love of God, let alone telling them of their need to repent of their sins in their coming to God. In fact, I find it hard to just share my faith. I'm sure you do as well. I remember one time I was at the DMV and standing in one of those very short and fast lines at the DMV. You ever ever have one of those? You know, I was standing in line, and I got a Bible commentary in hand because that night I was going to preach a message to the men at Harvest. This is when I was a pastor there. And so I'm just reading away, minding my own business. And, and in fact, that morning I had prayed, Lord, give me opportunity to share my faith today. So that on top of everything else, and here I am reading. And this guy in line in front of me, you know, turns around, and he hands me this funky-looking piece of literature that had uh, the Ark of the Covenant and all these temple, temple and all this religious stuff. Obviously religious. The men- uh, religious. Little menorah was on there and all the rest. And And all he says is, hey, do you know what this is all about? You know, so here's my pastorly, godly response. Nope. Look back down. 
just continued to read. I didn't pay attention to him. And I'm thinking after about 15 minutes, he's up in the line, you know, getting to help. And I thought, was I supposed to maybe share with that guy? I mean, here I was reading a commentary in line. That's more important than sharing. And Lord, was that a divine opportunity for me? I mean, I completely missed it. And this is the truth. That's just telling people about God. I mean, the whole idea of repentance and even going that far with it can be extremely intimidating. And yet the truth of the matter is what we're doing is removing from the message that standard that God holds, and he doesn't lower that standard. It was J.P. Yohannan, the founder of Gospel for Asia, that said this. He said, I'm convinced the main reason that we are not impacting our generation for Christ is our refusal to be honest about Christianity. We've offered the world a gospel without sacrifice and suffering. We've done everything we can to apologize for Christ's demands and explain them away. We've told people Jesus didn't really mean what he says. That's scary. David Platt in his awesome book called Radical, he said this. He said, the modern day gospel says God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Therefore, follow these steps and be saved. Meanwhile, the biblical gospel says you're an enemy of God, dead in your sins and in your present state of rebellion. You are not even able to see the the life that you need, much less cause yourself to come to life. Close quote. That's why repentance is necessary. We, we have the whole misconception of what it's all about. In fact, one preacher went on to say that he didn't preach repentance because, well, he said contemporary man needs a message of hope and not fear. But listen, Jesus understood that unless sin is acknowledged, sin is confessed, sin is repented of, there could be no true hope. And I believe if Jesus was to walk the streets of America today, he would call us to repentance. He'd say, repent of your adultery. Repent of your materialism. Repent of your renounce renounce and repent of your gossip and your jealousies and your lying and your stealing and all your deceptions. And if you and I are going to be followers of Christ, we must repent. We must turn from those things we know are sinful. It's a prerequisite to following Christ. And in fact, before Jesus preached, John the Baptist preached. And what did he preach? He preached repentance. He came on the scene and started baptizing people, a baptism of repentance. And of course, baptism is a symbol of, of the the death to the old man and rising to the new. Why? Because you can't follow Christ holding on to the dead man. You got to put the dead man away. You got to put that old sinful nature aside and follow Christ because as long as he's with you, he's going to drag you down. No, you got to put it aside. We got to put it away. Patrick Morley writes, the greatest misconception is that we can add Jesus to our life but not subtract sin. But it's a change in belief without a change in behavior. Or as A.W. Tozer said, the promise of pardon and cleansing is always associated with God's command to repent. Unless the sinner is willing to reform his way of living, he will never know the experience of regeneration. The idea that God will pardon a rebel who has not given up his rebellion is contrary to Scripture and common sense. How horrible to contemplate a church full of persons who have been pardoned but who still love sin and hate righteousness. How much more horrible to think of heaven as filled with sinners who have not repented nor changed their way of living. It's a horrible thing to consider because it's untrue. It won't happen. The Bible commands us to repent. Lay aside those weights and sins that so easily beset you. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You got to forsake your sin. You got to put it away. Or as Timothy wrote, Paul wrote to Timothy, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In Titus, Paul wrote this. He said, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us what? To say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, right, godly life 
in this present age. What's he telling us? When you understand the grace of God, and we often use God's grace as an excuse to sin, well, God will forgive me. God's grace is greater than my sin, and so I can go and sin. And what he's telling us here is when you understand the grace of God, it drives you to say de- to depart from iniquity and to say no to ungodliness and to seek to live a godly life. And the amazing thing is, is Christians today think we can you know, continue to practice sin and be a follower of Jesus. A friend of mine at church came up to me one day and he said, you know, pastor, I was at work this week and this guy came up to me after work and he, he said, hey, bro, let's go out and have some beers. And I got a little bag of marijuana and we'll have a little party and all that. You know, come on, let's go. And the guy from my church said, you know, well, listen, I'm trying to follow Christ. I put all those things away. I'm trying to walk in the new man. I don't want to do those things anymore. To which this guy replied to him and said, oh, yeah, well, you know what? I, I'm a born again Christian, too. I told God many years ago that I believe in him and I'll pray to him every day, but I never said I'd give up smoking pot, drinking, or chasing women. Well, then you're not a follower of Christ. That's the bottom line. You're not a follower. Last year, I went and rented some Sea-Dews out in Orange County and I was hooking them up to my car and the guy that was there that worked at this place was helping me and this guy had the foulest mouth you ever heard. I mean, he just was ranting and raving going, oh yeah, you want to go to the river and you want to pick up on chicks and you want to get all drunk and he's saying all this stuff to me and Hey, whatever you do, don't drunk, drink, drink and drive our sea-doos, you know. But he's going on ranting, and then sure enough, you know, after about 15 minutes of that, I'm about ready to puke. And, and then he says to me, oh, by the way, what do you do for a living? I thought, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, praise the Lord, brother, I'm a Mormon, he says, you know. But that's the mentality of people. You know, you can just live however you want. You can claim whatever you want to claim. George Barna said, today in the church, almost most Americans consider themselves Christians, They say they know the content of the Bible, yet less than one in ten demonstrate that knowledge through actions. There are tens of millions who say they love and follow God, yet are liars, thieves, fornicators, adulterers, and murderers. Titus 1.16 says they profess to know God, but in their works they deny Him. J.P. Yohannan said the spiritual temperature of some churches is so low that a new believer has to become a backslider just to feel at home. And that's, that's amazing. Listen. Repentance is a 180-degree turn from the way you used to live to a whole different way of living. And that's what God requires of you if you're going to be his follower. Sunday school teacher asked the students a question, what is repentance? The little boy shut his hand up and said, repentance is being sorry for your sins. And another little girl shot her hand up and she answered, repentance is being so sorry for your sins that you don't do them anymore. And that's the truth. We need to repent. We need to get our passions under control. Secondly, to follow Christ, we need to get our priorities in order. In other words, following is all about Jesus, right? That's who we're following. And the one thing we need to settle right off the bat is who we follow in here. Who's in charge? Who's the master? Peter Forsythe said the first duty of every soul is to not find its freedom, but its master. Following is not what I get out of the deal. It's what I'm here to do for Christ. And too often in America, we have this idea that following is all about adding Jesus to my life. And, and then I just kind of take him wherever I want to go. And he's just kind of there, my forever friend. And, and he makes my life better. And I just do whatever I want. And he's right there with me. When the truth of the matter is, following Christ is dying to yourself and saying, I'm here only and solely for Christ. And wherever he wants me to go, whatever he wants me to do, that's what my life is all about. It's a life of complete and total surrender. In fact, that's what we see here when Jesus calls them in verse 17 and says, follow me. It says, verse 18, they immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther from them, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, and they were also in a boat mending nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. What we see here is these guys left everything behind. 
It was a complete abandonment of their old life, and now they're going to follow Christ. Everything was, was left behind, even, in this case, their family. And it's amazing the kind of men that Jesus chose. He chose fishermen, which weren't like the elite scholars or theologians of the day. These guys were simple guys. And it just reminds, you know, reminds us of the fact that God doesn't choose the noble. He chooses the simple, and, and he does extraordinary things through ordinary people. And he's done that for us, and that's the amazing thing. But not only that, these men were making a huge commitment to follow Christ. They left their nets and they followed him. They left their father Zebedee in the boat, and they followed. And when Jesus called these men, they were ready to go, and they left everything behind to follow him. And they realized that business, wealth, family, uh, hobbies, whatever it might be, were all second to following Jesus Christ. In other words, they had their priorities right. They put Jesus first, and they followed Christ. And everything else was to fall into place. No wonder Jesus could do so much with these guys. Mark chapter 1, Kent Hughes says that this is one of the most famous acts of obedience in history. Jesus came on the scene with this radical call of obedience and repentance, and then he came on the scene with a radical call to be his follower or his disciple. And that's what these guys did. Now, let me just say, make no mistake about this, following Jesus requires total commitment. It requires we forsake everything to follow him. These men were leaving it all behind, and that he was now their priority, and everything else was going to fall second after that. And this is important, because again, we have the attitude that it's like a 50-50 thing. You know? Well, listen, God, I'll, co- I'll follow you, and I'll obey you, but then you've got to do something for me. You've got to bless me. You've got you to give me something in return. And we have this deal with God that it's a 50-50 you know, arrangement. It isn't. It's a, it's a 100-0. It's 100% giving yourself to God and expecting nothing back, although he will bless us, and he will give us uh, wonderful things in the future in heaven. But the bottom line is it's about, it's about death. It's about dying to ourself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it well. He said, God calls us to abandon all attachments of this world. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and to die, to die to yourself, to die to your dreams, to die to your agenda and say, Lord, I'm now living my life for you. What do you want me to do? And more than one occasion, Jesus held this standard to the people who wanted to follow him and he didn't budge it. Remember that time in the gospel of Luke when a guy came up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Remember that? And it's amazing. You know, if somebody came up to me and said, hey, I want to be a Christian, I'll follow Jesus wherever he wants to go. All right, man, here's a card, fill it out, you know, or whatever. Let me pray with you. This guy came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, we expect Jesus just to go, all right, come on, bro. Let's go. Here's where we're going to go. But listen to what Jesus said to this guy. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I mean, that's an amazing response. It's basically what Jesus is saying is, are you ready for a kind of life that may require homelessness, sometimes not having your basic needs met in order to follow me? Are you, are you ready for that? Are you willing to do that? This was a high standard. It's not going to be a walk in the park. Are you going to be okay with that? It's almost as if Jesus was kind of trying to dissuade this guy. You know, again, we'd all say, come on, let's go. Jesus said, well, you're not going to have, you might not have anywhere to sleep. You might not have any food to eat. Are, are you ready for that? Are you re- willing to do that? And then a second guy approached Jesus and said, you know what, Jesus, I'm, my father's going to die, but I want to go and bury him, and then I'll come and follow you. Right? Remember he said that? And what did Jesus say to that? He said, let the dead bury the dead, but you proclaim the kingdom of God. Imagine you coming to Jesus and saying, you know, my dad died. Um, I want to go to his funeral. No time for that. You need to get out there and serve. You need to get out there and, and, and expand the kingdom of God. I mean, it, it's a radical statement that Jesus makes. And then a third guy comes up to him and says, you know, I want to follow you, but first I want to go say goodbye to my family and listen to what Jesus said to that. 
He said, any man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. I mean, that's radical. I, I, I would think Jesus would just go, oh, well, you know, just go ahead and say goodbye and then come and follow me. No, he says, if you're going to look back and you're going to long for what you're leaving behind and you're going to long for families and friends and, and you're looking back on all that you're going to leave behind to follow me, then, then you might as well just go back. You know, it, it's that serious. It's that high of a standard that he's calling them to. Plainly put, a relationship with Jesus following him requires total, superior, exclusive devotion. Willingness to be homeless, letting someone else bury your loved ones, not even saying goodbye to your family. It's as if Jesus was saying, if all you got is excuses to not follow, then just go home. Don't follow me. Don't follow me if you're not willing to pay the price. And then to add to all that, later on, Jesus says, if anyone does not carry his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, it says, pick up an instrument of death and torture and, and follow me. Not literally, but of course, you know the price we pay. He's talking about the cost. And if that wasn't enough, he says, if any of you does not give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. So let's see, give up everything, carry your cross, hate your family. This sounds a lot different than just believe, pray a prayer, walk an aisle and fill out a card, right? It's a lot different. J.P. Yohannan said, Jesus is saying, it's either give up everything and follow me or don't come at all. There's no place in his band for those who are not willing to accept inconvenience, suffering, and uncertainty. This is the price of following Christ today as it was then. And being a follower of Jesus is not for wimps, whiners, mama's boys. It's for determined disciples willing to take the challenge. That's the standard that Jesus gave us in following. It was Martin Luther that said, Religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Salvation is free, but discipleship is, or following Christ costs everything you got. And we forget the cost. There's a huge cost involved in following Christ. It's like the pastor that went to a church and his friend was the pastor of the church. And he was taking them all around, showing them the, just the beautiful facility that God had blessed them with. And, you know, the plush velvet pews and the stained glass. And, and the pastor even brought him outside and showed him this beautiful cross in the front with the lights shining on it. And that cross cost me $50,000 imported from Israel. I mean, look at it. It's beautiful. To which his friend replied and said, yeah, well, I remember a day when they got those things for free, you know, because Christians wore them on their back and carried them to the hill and were crucified on them. And we've forgotten the cost that's involved in following Christ. But let me also say there's a cost, but it's a huge adventure. It's an adventurous life. Signing up to make a difference in this world for God's kingdom, it's going to cost you everything, but the things you'll experience are incredible. And you take these simple disciples that were just fishermen, and all they knew was the Sea of Galilee, and all they knew was all about fishing, and Jesus took these guys and made them make a difference in the world that's beyond even their imagination. I mean, these guys went all over the world bringing the gospel, seeing lives change. John became a bishop in Ephesus. Peter went to Rome. Andrew brought the gospel to the borders of Russia and into India. And these guys went all over the world preaching the gospel and their thoughts were consumed at one point how to catch fish. Now their thoughts were deep theological thoughts about the kingdom of God. They were thinkers and theologians and strategists and sociologists all because they sold themselves out to follow Christ. And God did amazing things with their life. They grew to undreamed heights because they made themselves special objects of Christ's love and they were willing to put him as the priority and said, here I am, Lord, use me. I'm willing to pay whatever price there is. And so Jesus made them fishers of men and they went out and they made a difference for the kingdom of God. So to follow Christ, we need to get our passions under control. We need to get our priorities in order. And then finally, we need to get our power from God because there's no way we can do it, right? Following is always done in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
If you look at verse 9 of chapter 1, it tells us here that Jesus was baptized. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming out of the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, why does Jesus, first off, get baptized? Well, because, I mean, of course, because the Bible says that, you know, we get baptism, baptized as a baptism of repentance, but Jesus never sinned. So why was he being baptized? Well, he was doing it as an identification with us. He was going to become the sin of all the world when he went to the cross. So as a symbol of that, what he was to become, he was baptized. But what's even more amazing is why, was, why did the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus? I mean, he's God, isn't he? He's God in human flesh. But the Holy Spirit here comes upon him. And basically it was to give him power to, be, to live the life that God had called him to live, to be obedient to the Father. And I think he's doing it to simply show us that Jesus, of course, being God, veiled his humanity and deity, and he, he lived his life in complete submission and obedience to the Father the whole time he was here. And he showed us in this example that he needed the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill that in the same way that you and I need the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill that. It's by the Holy Spirit's power that you and I are able to follow Jesus Christ. And, of course, we need to be baptized in that power. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus needed it, so do we. Charles Spurgeon said, without the Spirit, we can do nothing. Only the outpouring of the Spirit's power will enable us to make a difference. And it's true. I don't know about you, but I look at the calling of Christ, and I say, there's no way I can do this without the Spirit's power. And I need every day that God's Spirit is invigorating, infusing, inspiring power to live the limitless life that God's called me to live in following after Him and paying the price and, and, and delving out the cost, whatever it takes to follow Him. So this is, this is the, the description that we have of following Christ. So I want to ask you again what I asked you in the beginning. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you heeded the call to follow? I'm not talking about do you believe in him? I'm not talking about do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? I'm not even saying do, did you accept him into your heart as your Lord and Savior? I mean, and pray to prayer. Do that. I'm not asking that. I'm asking are you following him? Are you, are you making every day an attempt in your life to go forward and follow Christ wherever he has you to go? Have you heeded the call? Have you paid the price? Have you counted the cost and then paid the cost? There was a man uh, that preached one time. David Platt told about this in his book. He said, tonight my goal is when he got up to announce his message is I want to talk you out of following Jesus Christ. And he got up and started preaching out of Luke 9. And he gave all those examples I gave earlier of people coming to Jesus and making excuses as to why they couldn't follow. And he goes, I want to talk to, talk to you about not following Jesus Christ. And he went through the whole thing and he laid it all out. And he laid out the cost of following Christ. And he laid out all that was involved, the sacrifice and the suffering that could be experienced and all the rest. And when he was all done, he invited all those people. Well, now that you know the cost, are you willing to follow Jesus? And he asked them to stand up. And to his amazement, to everyone else's amazement, that was surprised by the opening comments he made, three-quarters of the room stood up and said, I'm willing to count the cost. I'm willing to go for it. I'm willing to take the challenge, and I'm willing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. Many will hear the call, but I wonder how many are truly willing to stand and be counted as his follower. And I, and I, I want to make that same challenge to you this morning here at Reliance Church, Temecula. How many of you would say, well, you know what, Pastor, I, I am a follower of Christ. I've already paid a price. I've already paid some of the cost. And I've made sacrifices necessary that Jesus has called me to make so that I could be his follower. 
and it does cost me something, and sometimes it's difficult, and sometimes it's hard. But I've done it, Pastor. I've made the call. I've answered the call. I've made the stand. Or how many of you would say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I'll be honest, I haven't. I've been making compromises. I mean, I've been, I've been kind of using those same excuses. You know, the grace of God covers my sins, and I'm not really taking it seriously. I mean, I haven't truly repented of all my sins. There's certain things I'm holding on to. But you know what? I'm up for the challenge. I'm up to make a stand for Christ. I'm willing, you know, quite honestly, Pastor, I'm willing, I'm willing today to say that wherever Christ calls me, whatever he allows me to go through, whatever he brings me through, whatever suffering, whatever shame, whatever cost, whatever it takes, no matter what it is, I am willing today to make a stand, not just today, but every day. And I'm willing to make a stand before my church and before God to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to be that follower in the power of the Holy Spirit. I wonder how many today would stand in this room and say that right now. Would you stand? Will you stand? Stand up, if that's you. Stand up.